What up, what up, fantasy people? Welcome to the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Travis Seal with my co-host Tyrell McLaughlin. Ty, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. Battling the heat as always. Yeah, it was a hot one today. It was good though. It was nice. I had the day off, so it was nice to be out on the patio, a little bit of sunshine, rocking the computer, working on the show sheet, ready to get recording. Must be nice. Let's actually start with some introductions here. Tyrell, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at TNFFTyrell and follow all our work at the website at TrueNorthFFB.com. And I'm Travis Seal. You can find me at TSeal14. So for today's episode, we are going to continue our training camp roundup series getting into the NFC. We did the AFC last week, so make sure to check that out. Let's uh, kick off the NFC, my man. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to start in the NFC East with the Washington Redskins. It's a pretty young offense. We can't really guess the usage at this point. It doesn't look like it's going to be a very good offense. But why don't we start out in the wide receiver core talking about Terry McLaurin? Yeah, Terry McLaurin definitely surprised all of us, I think, when he went as high as he did in the NFL draft. But he was college teammates with Dwayne Haskins, who was their first pick in the draft. So it kind of made a lot of sense when you look at it, when you take a step back. And I think I'm actually a bit higher on both of them than most people are. And it's mainly just because there's really no competition in Washington. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Terry McLaurin seems, everybody's been saying that he has a pretty high football IQ. And I actually saw an interview where he kind of broke down a play and he sounded like he knew what he was doing. And he sounded like he was kind of thinking along the lines of what his quarterback might think, which is a good asset. A lot of people are actually targeting Trey Quinn as well in drafts. He's looking like a pretty good PPR bet. What do you think on the other pieces aside from Terry McLaurin? Yeah, I definitely don't have a lot of interest uh, in any of these other guys, and definitely not in Trey Quinn even. He's going to make a lot of sleeper lists and get talked about a lot, but he's not really the profile player that I think we should target late in drafts. We obviously want the players with big upside, you know? And Trey Quinn's kind of a low-average depth of target guy. He's really just an extension of the run game. And he has some real durability concerns, kind of like everyone else in this offense. And Trey Quinn's actually already banged up after the first preseason game. Yeah, that's not a good sign for somebody who's coming in with a pretty bad offense in general. He was touted a little bit, but I'm kind of fading this entire pass game, to be honest with you. And yeah, touching on uh, the preseason, Dwayne Haskins actually took a lot of heat, and he was actually PFF's worst-graded quarterback in week one of the preseason. But he actually didn't look that terrible outside of two really bad uh, interceptions that were really bad. But there's definitely going to be a quarterback carousel this season, so whatever player anybody likes is probably constantly battling chemistry with their quarterback in 2019. And I wouldn't even be shocked if Washington is so bad this season that they're looking down the barrel of back-to-back first-round quarterback picks, kind of like Josh Rose and Kyler Murray style. Ooh, that would not be very good. Gotta look out for uh, Case and Colt too, eh? (laughs) Yeah, and another really kind of under-the-radar And really unique holdout is Trent Williams with the Washington Redskins. He's kind of been their best player for the last decade. He's their left tackle, and we know how important the left tackle is to offenses. So if we don't see Trent Williams, which we really are not likely to see him in Washington ever again, we saw what this team looked like last year when the offensive line broke down. So we should definitely keep that in mind. And uh, I don't know, what do you think about that, Travis? Yeah, he's going to be a big loss for Haskins' blind side, but I think it's probably going to take a big hit to the running game as well. This is easily their strongest position group and probably the most intriguing for fantasy. They got Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, and Bryce Love from Russia with the Love Bone. (laughs) Yeah, all guys who've actually had serious uh, knee operations too. 
Yeah, that's a pretty interesting group, that's for sure. <laughs> Geis has fallen in between the fifth and the sixth round, and he's in the fourth round in Dynasty drafts. So what do you think his chances are of returning value on that? Yeah, that's so rich. And yeah, I mean, he goes all around the board when you're participating in drafts. So it might be a cop-out answer for me, but Geis actually interests me near the end of that spectrum, of course. <laughs> but that's more because he does fit the bill of those bust running backs we try and avoid in rounds five and six. And man, you really said it, like it's Washington's strongest group by far is their running backs. And if anybody blows up in this backfield, no thanks to the rest of this offense, it will be Darius Geis. Yeah, I agree there. So we should probably touch on Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson as well. AP, he's going late. And he has some solid production potential this season after going for a thousand yards last year. Personally, though, I love Chris Thompson. I've been trying to get him on the back end of as many rosters as possible. He came out super hot in 2017 until he got hurt in week 10. In 10 games, he was number six in running back reception yards. He had 7.8 yards per touch, and that was actually the best in the league. Jay Gruden definitely likes him and how he fits in this scheme. So snatch him up, kids. Yeah, Chris Thompson's so electric. Uh, actually, I'll hit Adrian Peterson first. So last year, we know Adrian Peterson was so successful because he was the only show in town. And I can give you a really quick stat that shows that he had 60% of the Redskins carries in 2018. And in the last four years under Jay Gurdon, the lead running back for the Washington Redskins has had 44%, 44%, and 47% of the lead carries. So that's a much more uh, sticky number that we can follow. Yeah, I think we're going to see that change this year too. Totally. And I think we're going to see that maybe even drop down. Maybe uh, maybe we do see Adrian Peterson start the season and maybe it's a hot hand approach because I think it will be really hard to keep Darius Geis off the field if he's healthy. Yeah, why don't you move into CT a little bit and then we'll get going into the tight ends. Yeah, Chris Thompson's interesting. I was getting Duke Johnson in the same range of all my drafts this offseason. <laughs> so he's definitely going to be a pivot for me now. But like I was saying, I do think Geis is as explosive as Chris Thompson even. And Gruden even made comments at the Combine saying that he doesn't think Geis needs to come off the field for third downs necessarily. And this is all just leading to say that Washington really will be in a ton of bad game scripts. And if that offensive line is crumbling, targets are really going to funnel to the running backs and tight ends. And the Redskins' two most talented players at the moment are definitely Darius Geis and health pending Chris Thompson. And of course, their tight end who has, uh, you know, no health concerns whatsoever, right? Well, there's a bit of a history there, that's for sure. Um, but look out, because Jordan Reed's actually feeling way stronger and more explosive than last year. But in all seriousness, uh, a strong year from Jordan Reed would really help Dwayne Haskins' development. He's actually never played 16 games, but he had 13 games last year, and he finished at tight end 13. He had 54 receptions on 78 targets. His first season ever under 70% catch rate and he only had two touchdowns so if he can put up that efficiency and improve on his three red zone targets he can be a valuable commodity as a really late round tight end if you punt in drafts yeah it's a far cry from when we had to take him in the top half of the single digits of our drafts for sure but he you're right he really is the only buzz player in skins camp and really given his age that's really weird and yeah fantasy football rule number 86 right jordan reed is finished as a top 12 tight end almost 50 percent of the time and interesting enough, Jordan Reed has actually been on the injury report in 47% of his games since coming into the NFL in 2013. But let's move on. We spent too much time on the Redskins. Let's go to the New York football giants. Uh, do I have to? Yeah, I just did the Redskins. Okay. All right, I'll kick her off. So Daniel Jones. 
What about him? Well, the immaculate drive, if you didn't hear in the first preseason game, it really was spectacular. He went five for five. He was super accurate. He threw a deep crosser and his touchdown was just gorgeous. And yeah, he actually had a perfect passer rating. It was just a great drive. And if you wanted to know, his touchdown pass did go to Benny Fowler. For some reason, everybody is dying to know who their wide receiver two will be until Golden Tate returns. So yeah, Benny Fowler leading the pack. And the best stat, though, for Daniel Jones is that 18 of the last 21 quarterbacks drafted in the top 10 have started 10 or more games in their rookie season. So this is actually, you know, even after one preseason game, really trending towards Daniel Jones starting week one. So do you think he starts, Travis? Because I'm not 100% sold he's trying another day one. I don't know. Well, I'm not sure about day one, but he has to start at some point this season. Gettleman just can't mess this up any further and taking a quarterback at six he has to start at some point this year but actually I think Eli as gross as it is he kind of brings a more predictability for the skill position players um, albeit terrible predictability yeah I kind of agree like he definitely will provide a lot more stability when it comes to predicting them on a week-to-week basis but there definitely is some pieces in this offense that can be valuable for fantasy and outside of Saquon Barkley let's hit Evan Ingram let's do it So we know OBJ is gone, and in the past, the biggest beneficiary absent OBJ was definitely Evan Ingram. So here's his split since coming into the NFL for Evan Ingram. With Odell Beckham on the field, he has 8.9 fantasy points per game in his career. And without Odell, he has 13.3 fantasy points per game in his career, which would have equaled tight end 5 last year. And outside of that, we know he burst on the scene when he was the only show in town. As a rookie, it was really sensational and pretty historic. And there is a ton of fragility amongst this whole offense with the Giants, so it's possible they do just feed him. There's no doubt that he is the best weapon outside of Saquon there. But I want to know what you think, because we do have to choose between those three tight ends in the, you know, fifth or sixth rounds of our drafts. So what are you saying? I actually had Evan Ingram as my tight end four before I started drinking the OJ, so I put OJ Howard up at the four spot. Evan Ingram's their only option at stretching the field right now, and I mentioned on the, we went on a two-on-one podcast, shout out to Tommy and Steven. I was saying on their pod that he was actually on pace to match his rookie season last year, and that would have put him right in that middle 5 to 10 range, I believe, of the tight ends, so would have been a good season for him. Worst case, Ontario, he finishes 6 or 7, but barring injury, I really don't see him being worse than that, based on the volume it's looking like he'll get. Even if he has an inefficient yardage season, him and Barkley are going to be the main red zone beneficiaries, so Ingram has some big upside this year. I'm still not likely drafting him where he's going for the position players that I'd have to pass up and how bad this offense is, but for players who want to feel like they have a top-tier producer at tight end, I think he'll be dependable. And again, that's definitely volume-based because this is not going to be an electric offense by any means. Yeah. Okay, let's go, let's go to their pass catchers here. We know Golden Tate's suspended for four weeks, and Sterling Shepard has already been cleared for live drills, but he's in a no-contact uh, jersey, obviously. And he's only been cleared for one-handed catches. As funny as that sounds, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's so weird, man. Yeah, that's your Gettleman going to Gettle right there. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> because that really does just scream trying to appease fans, really. So number one, that could be viewed as good news and that he's actually set for a week one return for sure in the regular season. Or number two, it could, you know, to me, it seems pretty quick to rush back Sterling Shepard, who seems at a higher risk for a setback, you know, making one-handed catches than working off to the side with the rehab group. Yeah, you'd think that they'd want to rest their most dynamic receiver to get that thumb right before putting him back out there. I actually think Sterling Shepard can do more than what they've used him as, and if I have to pick one, I'm probably picking Sterling Shepard. 
but I don't think he's more than a fantasy wide receiver three in this offense. I like his talent, but that situation is just garbage. Looking at Golding Tate, it's going to be an interesting fit with Eli liking to make short passes. He should have some volume, but I don't really see that volume bearing much fruit, especially with a potential midseason switch to Daniel Jones. We really don't know how Tate's going to be used, so I'm just going to try and stay away more than anything. Yeah, I agree. When you research Golden Tate's past, you find that he probably sees six to eight targets a game, and he may give you a good floor for production to even given his cost and his suspension, but he definitely isn't going to offer a ceiling in this offense, and he's not going to offer any spiked weeks or stability in our lineup, that's for sure. And we got to keep in mind some of his biggest, biggest seasons were with people like Megatron beside him. And one name we should keep in mind is Darius Slayton. He's probably going to be their deep threat for the New York Giants. His fantasy relevance could be tied to Daniel Jones, however, and he also has to get on the field first because he can't make the club in the tub, right? That's right. That's right. But Darius Slayton, definitely a, a name to remember. So let's move on here. Let's go to the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles here. What do you want to say, bird boy? Oh, I love him. I love him. So I'm actually going to drop the homer take of the year here. Deshaun Jackson's going to put up close to 1,000 yards, and he's going to have 7-plus touchdowns. That's my homer take. This offense has shown a pace that could cater to those numbers. Yeah, I know, I'm still living in 2017, but Wentz's playing style fits exactly what Deshaun Jackson does. He's always going to be a best ball play, and in redraft, I think he'll probably be your fourth wide receiver. So I'm going to take that. Yeah, I don't think it's that much of a homer take. I think you could easily put that up, especially when you look at projections and you look at Vegas prop odds for, you know, this entire Philadelphia Eagles offense. So yeah, stack all those Philadelphia Eagles in best balls. And even in redraft with most of our leagues being start three wide receiver and having a couple IR spots, definitely just hook up DJX too. Yeah, we should move into JJ Arcega Whiteside next. I actually could see JJ taking over the Alshon role as early as this year. Alshon's 29 and he's due 15 million in 2020, but he's a cut candidate next year because his dead cap moves to a more manageable four and a half million. I think JJ Arcega Whiteside could be better. His red zone work is just awesome. If you watch his tape, his box out, he just smothers guys. I don't think high yardage totals are going to be in the cards for him just yet, but he has some really big touchdown upside in an offense that should get a lot of scoring opportunities. He's a major dynasty buy for me. I'm trying to buy him everywhere. Yeah, wow, not even pronouncing his name, eh? But yeah, there's actually a few ways J.J. Arthega <laughs> Whiteside can actually crack our lineups this year. I totally agree. And you mentioned the offense, so I'll touch more on that. Over the last two seasons, Carson Wentz has averaged 19.8 points per game in fantasy, and that's number three among quarterbacks. And in the last two years, Wentz ranks number seven in NFL deep ball accuracy, and we know J.J. can go up and get that ball, and that touches definitely on your uh, Deshaun Jackson take. Yeah, I can't wait to see these guys get on the field, not just from fantasy, but from a real fan perspective. I think this is going to be a pretty fun offense to watch. So I've been saying for the past couple of years, it's good to be an Eagles fan right now. I think we really need to also watch a lot of these wide receiver pieces too, because they can take advantage of Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson's durability or lack thereof. Over the last four seasons, both Deshaun Jackson and Alshon have both missed 14 games, which is equal to three and a half games a season. Yeah, I think we got to talk about this running back room too. There's a lot of good players and there's not going to be enough touches for all of them. Uh, what do our projections say, Ty? If anybody didn't know, Ty does the projections for us. And uh, so you'll hear us cite those and that's Ty's work. Yeah, they definitely had a tiny bit of a shakeup with uh, Darren Sproles coming in. 
But I still have Miles Sanders leading the way when it comes to fantasy. Jordan Howard leading the way when it comes to carries. I have him with 186 carries, 827 yards, and 7 touchdowns. But I have Jordan Howard for under 20 targets. Whereas Miles Sanders I have for 161 rushes for 710 yards with 4 touchdowns on the ground. But he's going to see right around 59 targets, 41 receptions, and just under 400 receiving yards, and probably a few touchdowns. I'm kind of with you there that Jordan Howard's not really going to get involved in the passing game. I think the Darren Sproles signing was pretty telling there. We know that Miles Sanders has a pretty good three-down skill set. So everybody's kind of touting a committee there, and that's definitely been the case the last couple of years. But has that been scheme, or has that been more players? Yeah, personally, I think it's been players for sure. I mean, Miles Sanders is the real deal, in my opinion. He was the 53rd overall pick this year. Not to mention that 10 years ago, Shady McCoy was the 53rd overall pick for the Eagles. And we got to remember that Doug Peterson, head coach, and Deuce Staley, the man who's supposedly behind the big running back by committee conspiracy in Philadelphia, both those guys were on the staff when Andy Reid made that selection of Shady McCoy. And Doug Peterson and Deuce Staley have both been there through Shady's career, obviously, and Ryan Matthews and DeMarco Murray, God love him. And in college, Miles Sanders had 220 carries for 1,274 yards in his last season at Penn State, which is really comparable to Saquon's final season of 217 carries for 1,271 yards. Obviously, I excluded passing work there. It's really hard to compare Miles Sanders to the guy who is literally the GOAT when it comes to receiving work. But Miles Sanders did have the fifth highest team reception share. That's the percent of his team's catches in college among all 2019 running backs. Yeah, and he was in the 75th percentile or better in every drill and metric outside of the bench press. And we saw Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb beat out free agent running backs who are one-dimensional as well. So I can see Miles Sanders having a big role this year for the Eagles. Yeah, so let's move into the Cowboys as we run through the NFC East. I think we should definitely touch on the Zeke holdout a little bit. It's becoming more and more realistic that he's going to miss some games. What do you think is going to happen there, Ty? Yeah, you know, we really know Zeke is cut from a different cloth. It wouldn't surprise us if he does sit out for a game or two. Uh, You know, it it bears mentioning that the first three games on Dallas' schedule is the New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, and then the Miami Dolphins. So if Zeke was to sit out the first three games, I don't think that's going to hurt anybody. Maybe circa... Uh, the early 90s there where Emmett Smith sat out a few early games and then he can return against the uh, New Orleans Saints. That's some big fantasy points for Zeke though if he were to play in those games. Yeah, you're telling me. Dynasty owner. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, <laughs> you're only one day in, bud. You do, it doesn't even count yet. I'm about 15 minutes so in, man. So <laughs> where, where did you take him? Let's touch on that then. So where did you take him in this draft then today? In this start, yeah, t- in the In the dynasty startup. Yeah, Ty and I actually started a dynasty startup today. It's the CFFL, the Canadian Fantasy Football League, and I took Zeke at the fifth overall pick. I think his long-term outlook in a dynasty, no matter what team he's on, is going to be fantastic. And I think he's going to come back to the Cowboys no matter what. So I took him pretty confidently at the fifth pick. I didn't use that much of my clock. I was just happy that I get a top flight running back there. And who are you going to take in the 12th round? I'll be taking Tony Pollard, baby. Yeah, good man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Pollard? Yeah, my boy Tony Pollard. I mean, we've been talking him up since day one for sure. And him coming out of Memphis with Daryl Henderson were two of our favorite running backs in this whole class. And in game one of the preseason, we actually saw Darius Jackson get the first carry. It was really weird. And, you know, technically the start. But essentially, Tony Pollard got the start. He played several snaps with Dak Prescott in the ones through that first drive. And they didn't actually show us much. They ran him between the tackles even a few times, which isn't really indicative of how they're going to use him. And that's what I'm saying. I just don't think they're really going to show their hand with Tony Pollard that much in the preseason. 
but we've seen out of camp him running some pretty nutty wheel routes and lined up all over the place in different packages. And Mike Weber also came in, and he's getting a little bit of steam as well, so we do have to monitor him. Yeah, Weber's looked pretty good since getting back on the field, but there's no real telling what's going to happen with these guys. You've got me on the Pollard train for sure, but I think this backfield usage is highly contingent on Zeke. If he's back, they're almost undraftable in my position aside from Pollard late. And if he sits, it looks like a mess of unproven players who could be sat down by a free agent signing after cam cuts. They actually already brought in Alfred Morris again, so we're running back to that well too. Yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about Alfred Morris. That's totally true. And they know that they can trust him, so he he could definitely get some early work between the tackles. Yeah, that backfield was frustrating the last time he was there, so if Zeke's not there, I think it's going to be frustrating again. Let's get into the receivers here. There's no real telling whether Kellen Moore's offense could support Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, and I think that we both think that Michael Gallup is probably the two there. Kellen Moore's been on the sidelines watching and learning from a pretty boring offensive attack the last few years. We mentioned the last episode that he's vowed to bring a more modern offense to Dallas. Being a young former quarterback who was actually the backup for this team only two years ago, I could see him getting more creative with these offensive pieces. Gallup could get some work and be a big beneficiary with increased passing volume, but I'm still skeptical as to whether that happens. Unless Zeke does sit and they have to pivot to being more pass heavy, which might not necessarily be a good thing for them in real football terms. Yeah, it might be the difference between Dak Prescott, 30 and $40 million payday, right? Oh, he's looking for $40 million. Uh, That's just outrageous. I, I don't know. That's what camps put out, right? That's what Dak Prescott's camp put out for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. That's silly. Hope, hoping for 37 and a half. Yeah, it's going to be lucrative. It's going to be lucrative. I just think it's going to be one of those front-loaded, maybe three or four-year deals. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I do want to. I do want to see just what you started on there with Kellen Moore. I have faith in Dak Prescott actually. So behind this offensive line with these pieces, we all wish that we could actually see a creative offense here for once. Because really, the only thing more creative than Jason Garrett's offense is uh, anything really. <laughs> <laughs> and in this wide receiver group, man, uh, you named all the big names, but I just want to hit Cedric Wilson. I really like this kid coming into the draft. And he looked really good in preseason in game one there. So if he keeps this up through preseason, he's going to be hard to uh, keep off the field. Okay, so let's move into the NFC West here. And we're going to start with the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to kick it off with their wide receivers. And we over here at True North love Tyler Lockett. Russell Wilson had a perfect passer rating last year when targeting Lockett. A perfect passer rating, 158.3. That's pretty good. That's Daniel Jones in the preseason good. (laughs) <laughs> oh god here here he goes the hype train it's just the anti-eagles train i guess yeah that's or your fair. good that's buddy fair. being an eagles fan train when you look at Lockett's stats inside the opponent's 40 yard line his passer rating was still 152.1 and that's inside the opponent's 40 yard line so that's scoring opportunities on those plays Lockett had 16 catches on 19 targets for seven touchdowns He was only in the slot last year for 34.7% of his snaps, so he's set for a lot more work there, and that was a pretty productive spot for Doug Baldwin in the last couple years, for sure. Yeah, totally, and we really want to follow all the wide receivers in Seattle. They have more than one-third of their targets available this year with Doug Baldwin retiring. And I actually looked more into that perfect passer rating thing, and that's never happened going back 10 years. And touching back again on Doug Baldwin... From 2014 to 2017 for those four years, he averaged 22% market share. And in 2015 with Seattle, they only passed the ball 483 times. It was remarkably low. 
So even if you're extremely worried about, you know, Seattle's passing volume, Doug Baldwin that season had 105 targets, which is pretty low if you're projecting out Tyler Lockett, but he put up a thousand over a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns. And we definitely assume Tyler Lockett is going to take a majority of his snaps in the slot as well as still kick out wide to run some go routes. And in 2018, Tyler Lockett was 16th in fantasy points, but he was 57th in the league in targets. And yeah, Doug Baldwin retired people. Yeah, Tyler Lockett only had 70 targets, as you kind of touched on there, 57 catches. He didn't even get over a thousand yards, but he had 10 touchdowns and he's proven really efficient throughout his career. So we're expecting some big growth from Tyler Lockett this year. Yeah, he really just crushes all metrics. In the last 10 years, he has the best yards per target in the entire NFL of any wide receiver with 25 or more targets. And in 2018, Tyler Lockett averaged 3.2 fantasy points per target. And that was number one by any wide receiver since targets have been recorded in 1992. So let's talk a little bit about DK Metcalf. Second round pick. That was towards the end of the second round, I think. I was thinking about it and I don't think they've really had a receiver his type before. A lot was said about, you know, his short area quickness. And I'm not sure that his skill set really matches Russell Wilson, being that he doesn't move quickly or with agility in changing directions. And he's going to need to get open when Russell Wilson's scrambling. But you never really know. He can definitely burn down the sideline and he's a big body. He just had the one catch for eight yards in the preseason game. So the jury's kind of still out. We like David Moore a lot as well with how he ended last year. And then you have Gary Jennings Jr. and John Ursua. So what do you make of this wide receiver corpse, Ty? Yeah, I think this wide receiver group needs to be followed as close as any. I think there's a bit of a misconception out there when it comes to people trying to really peg somebody for the Tyler Lockett role from last year. I don't necessarily think Tyler Lockett's role is going to evaporate while he'll play in the slot a ton. He's still going to kick out wide. And I don't even think DK Metcalf has passed David Moore on the depth chart. And we know I really actually kind of like David Moore. And he had some pretty crazy stats last year, including a seven-game stretch where he put up five touchdowns. And while I do admit passing on DK, especially in Dynasty, could come back to bite us, I just think he's like the definition of a guy who's going to have to prove it to me. And we know that he really makes all his money on only go routes and hitch routes and really doesn't have an expanded route tree whatsoever. So he's really going to have to succeed at, you know, the one thing he does. And while it is a really good pairing with him and Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson had 33 deep ball completions, number two in the NFL last year, but it does remain to be seen with DK. And the other guys, you know, Gary Jennings, there's a little bit of truth or camp with him, but he was actually, he led the wide receivers in snaps in the preseason game one, but he was targeted twice and had no receptions. And then quickly here, I want to hit Jazz Ferguson. I want everyone to remember that name for sure. He has 97th percentile burst score. He has 98th percentile speed score. He's 6'5", 230. He has 97th percentile arm length. And the only box he really doesn't check is breakout age. But on the field, he looked incredibly smooth for how big he is. The funny thing is actually that Jazz Ferguson is really similar to DK athletically. And it's really wild. And he's actually a lot more versatile. He even played some snaps on special teams, which is pretty remarkable for a 6'5 player. So while people are running to their free agent waiver wires for players like Preston Williams and Jacoby Myers and spending a lot of fab budget early in the preseason here, I think it's smart to just pivot and go to Jazz Ferguson for a lot cheaper right now. Yeah, I think the disparity in buzz on those two guys, Jazz Ferguson and Preston Williams, is probably more the guys on the depth chart ahead of them. So I might go a little bit harder after Preston Williams just because of that. He's got an easier path, but I think Jazz Ferguson is a really good pivot because to be honest with you, 
depending on how much fab people are spending, I might not even get myself uh, Preston Williams. So I'll definitely be looking for Ferguson if I don't. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I thought I was going to get Preston Williams in a lot of places because I was high on him, but he he went expensive. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think the real, real big question here is the backfield for Seattle. Um, this backfield's really juicy for me right now. Like, same crib, same number, same hood juicy. It's <laughs> It's all good. The condensed passing offense which Rashad Penny will be a part of, means a ton of rushing opportunities. Chris Carson likely gets the lead role carrying the rock, but Penny's going to be involved too. I think this is a really good dynasty versus redraft pairing because for me, it's Carson and redraft, and I think it's Penny and dynasty. Penny has a lot of areas for big upward motion. He only scored two touchdowns last year, 85 carries. He only had 12 targets and nine receptions. So if he can maintain some efficiency at 5.3 yards per touch in 2018, he's definitely a breakout candidate for me. Yeah, I agree on the upward trajectory for Rashad Penny for sure. And we can't forget that Mike Davis left over 150 touches last year, including 40 targets. And while there's a lot of speculation about a third down back, uh, Travis Homer kind of disappointed for sure. Coming out of OTAs with a little bit of hype and now he's injured. So what else you got in this backfield? Well, moving into Carson, he should have some continued production. He had a heavy carry count with 247. He should play that role again. There's potential for some added passing work. They've actually come out. There's a report just yesterday, I think, that Carson's going to be much more involved in the passing game. So it's going to be pretty hard to decipher between Penny and Carson, but I think there's probably enough work for both of them in this offense. They really trusted Chris Carson in high leverage situations. He had 44 red zone touches last year. 12 carries inside the five. It seems like uh, Sunshine Pete learned his lesson and he wants to run the ball near pay dirt. Yeah, I agree with Carson too. I think he's still a little bit underpriced. We know uh, the Schottenheimer offense here in Seattle is going to run the ball a ton again. And you touched on the red zone work. And we got to remember that Russell Wilson doesn't carry the ball inside the goal line. He had zero carries inside the five last year. And if you don't mind, I'll hit the backup running backs because we know there is always the chance of somebody popping out of nowhere in Seattle. And both of these running backs have had injuries in back-to-back years here. So while a lot of people are talking about Bo Scarborough or a little bit worried about him, he also has some serious durability concerns to go along CJ Procise and JD McKissick. So the running back I want to touch on is Xavier Turner. And he might be durable. He had only been with the Seahawks for 24 hours before the uh, preseason game one there. And they gave him 13 rushes and he had 42 yards and a catch. And I'm actually totally going to check this kid out in preseason. He's 5'10", he's 226 pounds. And he's out of Tarleton State. And this kid has a really good speed score, really good spark X score. And so, well, we expect Chris Carson to be rested for most of the preseason. And like I said, there's an abundance of fragility in the Seattle backfield. So yeah, Xavier Turner, let's see what he does in game two after being officially, you know, on a team's depth chart for a week before the game. And actually, Trav, while I'm dishing on sleepers here, deep sleepers, I'll hit tight ends. I think I've said it before, but we know 54.4% of the touchdowns for the Seattle Seahawks in the last five years have gone to Doug Baldwin or the tight ends. And the player I'm actually most interested in is Will Disley. Billy Dis. Yeah. And if he can endure it, he's definitely going to be a three-down tight end. And we actually saw George Van get injured, so he's also now the best blocking tight end by far on the team. And Will Disley came out of the gate last year and showed yard after the catch ability that we didn't even see coming. And behind him, it really is a ghost town to me. I know Jacob Hollister's gotten some buzz, but he has a groin injury. And Nick Vanette actually led the preseason game one tight end group in snaps and didn't even catch a ball. 
And it sucks because I actually have a couple Nick Vanette shares on my uh, best ball rosters. All right. Should we get into the 49ers here? Let's do it. So we've all heard by now that McKinnon is going to be starting the year on IR. It seems like they kind of hope for him to be their boomerang player, but we don't really know. It's pretty unfortunate for McKinnon. He's kind of somebody whose full potential might never get reached. And that kind of sucks because it would have been fun to see. But I'm going to stop being a Debbie Downer here. And on the positive side, Matt Breida. Yeah, we love Matt Breida at True North for sure. And he's being used in the passing game and in the return game even. And he's just being moved all around the formation in Shanahan's offense during camp. And that's really exciting to see. And he, you know, he has had 50 receptions over the last two years. Man, he did a lot of good for me on rosters last year. He played through so many injuries. It was pretty down to the wire as far as whether I wanted to start him or not. But when I put him in there, he put up some points for sure. And I think he proved that he deserves to be involved in this offense. With the McKinnon news, he's squarely in the conversation as a running back too for me. His receiving work's definitely underrated. He only had 31 targets last year, but he caught 27 of them. Six yards per target and 13 runs over 15 yards were both good for seventh in the league. So he's definitely a versatile guy. And he was on a decimated offense last year. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, and we touched on Jarek McKinnon, and it's really unfortunate. You talked about unrealized potential, and it it's true because Shanahan really handpicked that guy. And so we want to see what he could do. So it's funny that he turned around and handpicked his old guy. And so let's touch on Tevin Coleman here because he is coming in to play the Tevin Coleman role <laughs> in the Shanahan <laughs> offense. But in my opinion, Tevin Coleman's never really lived up to his billing since that one outlier year. He's never had 200 touches, and I'm not even sold that he's going to be the goal line back here in San Francisco. Last year, Tevin Coleman had eight rushes inside the five-yard line, and he had minus eight yards and obviously no touchdowns. And Tevin Coleman was even outcarried in the red zone 21-17 by Ido Smith last year, who's at risk of being cut by the Falcons. And I do think it's funny that Shanahan makes rookies like Debo Samuel run behind players like Marquise Goodwin and others, but Tevin Coleman inserts immediately into the starters right away in the offseason. How, uh, how are you seeing this, Trav? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point there. I think Coleman's probably going to put up a little bit of numbers. I can see him being pretty inconsistent. I think he could have some good spike weeks, maybe a bit of a best ball target, just based off big plays because he can produce some big plays in a good offense and Shanahan has that. But looking back at the red zone touches, you mentioned he was outtouched by Ito Smith there. Matt Breida had 27 red zone touches last year. With that role locked in, he's got some pretty good potential to increase his touchdowns. He only had five last year. I think a more potent passing game should breed some more scoring opportunities. So give me some Brita, especially where he's going in drafts in comparison to Tevin Coleman. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. We always just take the cheaper piece in one of these ambiguous backfields, especially if you like that piece. Let's move on to the wide receivers here because there's actually a lot to monitor among all these guys. Dante Pettis, you know, came into camp out of shape. He's not true number one, all this stuff that's coming out. And we know Debo Samuel is running behind Marquise Goodwin. Of course, Trent Taylor was getting a lot of buzz and now he is hurt again. Could he be back for week one? There's just so much to go through. And even rookie Jalen Hurd just blew up in the preseason here. Yeah, Jalen Hurd did look really good there. Um, Really sucks for Trent Taylor. He was going to have a pretty good PPR year in my opinion, but I'm actually pretty big on Marquise Goodwin as a back-end bench piece. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was starting to look his way before he got hurt last year and they don't really have a field stretcher aside from Goodwin to get behind defenses. So Again, super, super late. I'm not expecting big production, but Marquise Goodwin could be decent for some spike weeks. And I think you've mentioned as well as I'm totally on board with him as a best ball target. It's still pretty hard to figure out roles in this team. 
You're drafting a lot of guys based on talent and whether or not you believe in Jimmy Garoppolo in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I'm pretty risk averse as a fantasy player, so I'm kind of guarded when it comes to this group. I haven't really seen much for production, so Hurd and Debo could be great dynasty ads with the potential to make big tier jumps for 2020, but if I'm picking for 29, it's still going to be Pettis for me. Yeah, I actually just, I agree totally with everything you just said there. The The interesting thing is Dante Pettis. I don't know how sold I am. I don't love the negative buzz that he's getting right now. So the negative side of him is that 32% of his points last year came in the fourth quarter when San Francisco was down 10 or more points. And he touched on his lack of chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo. But his upside is super undeniable. I mean, he was number one in the NFL in yards after the catch per reception. And he's wide receiver 13 from weeks 12 to 17 in fantasy in points per game. Yeah, I think he has really good separation ability. His separation per target last year was 2.38 yards, and you mentioned his yards after catch. So I think he's good at getting open, and he can definitely make something happen after the catch. So I can definitely take Pettis, especially if he comes at a bit of a value. But if he starts to rise anymore, I might be out. So who are you taking out of Robbie Anderson and Dante Pettis if you're on the clock right now in the Superflex today? I think I'm going Robbie A. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah, I just want to gauge it. I like that big play potential. So, and I think Pettis isn't like a speedster. No, I agree. I agree. You talked about roles and Robbie Anderson definitely has a much more locked in role. And enough of the banter. Let's move on to the Rams here. And basically just keeping a preseason vibes. We can't really glean much from Los Angeles. And Sean McVay is a trendsetter. He rests all his players in almost all of the preseason. In week one of the preseason, Sean McVay wasn't even calling plays. He actually relinquished duties to offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. And it's kind of cool to give him experience because he actually had some buzz for head coaching jobs this offseason. And we should remember the name because he'll definitely be in the mix for 2020 vacant jobs. But I really don't think Sean McVay is going to even show his hand for how he plans to use Daryl Henderson and players like that. Yeah, we're not seeing Gurley or Cooper Cup until week one, that's for sure. I think Gerald Everett might be the only value with even Daryl Henderson's draft price creeping up. Yeah, third year tight end. Uh, everyone thought he was going to be like the next Jordan Reed with Sean McVay. It was kind of funny. But I do like Gerald Everett. I mean, there is potential for some volume if somebody was to be hurt in this offense. And speaking of that, we could touch on Josh Reynolds, actually. You should see a ton of action in the preseason. And we saw him get a little play near the end of the season with Cooper Cup. And we know the Rams run 90 plus percent three wide receiver sets. So if any of the big three do get hurt, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Reynolds could be a decent ad if Cooper Cup needs a little bit more time to recover. He could have some early season production. He definitely showed us last year at the end of the season that he could produce in spots. But I think we know who the top three receivers are here. Cooks, Woods, and Cup are going to put up some numbers. The only thing I might want to watch is Robert Woods' role to see how it's affected if Cooper Cup plays in week one and he gets a full year in. But I think they're all going to produce pretty big here. Yeah, maybe another quick name to watch in that wide receiver group is Kaderil Hodge. I really liked him coming in the NFL draft process. Yeah, there's a little bit of a deep sleeper. And I think moving into the running backs, we're not going to go too far into them because the key for us is going to be to see Daryl Henderson and Todd Gurley both active on game day. Preseason is not going to tell us a whole bunch and we're definitely going to hammer these guys as we get towards the season. So we're going to move on to the Cardinals here. Yeah, we all know they drafted Kyler Murray with the number one pick. They're going to be a really pass-heavy offense, and Kyler Murray has some major rushing upside. They drafted him some weapons to grow with, and he's got a top-flight running back in David Johnson sharing the backfield, but that O-line is uh, they're a pretty tough one to watch. Yeah, they're the worst on PFF last year in pass blocking, 
And a lot of people might say that they added this offseason. I just think they kind of got older. And three out of the starting five players are already hurt. And it's, you know, only the second week of August here. And I really think Kyler Murray is the best offensive lineman you could ask for. And we saw it for one series, but he should look a lot like Russell Wilson on the move and maybe even shorter steps when running, more like a Michael Vick. And I mentioned that first preseason game, he was really accurate on the run too. And he evaded guys, remained in control, looking down the field, and even went down when he needed to, which is really what you want to see too. Yeah, I definitely hope he holds up to taking some hits in the NFL because he does look small, but I like what you alluded to there about him looking down the field when he's running. I think a pass-first mentality is going to be what really makes him have some longevity in the NFL. So the sky's definitely the limit for Kyler Murray. And the reason all of us are so interested in this Arizona offense for fantasy is Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach. It's going to be really interesting to see what a rookie quarterback does with a rookie head coach who's kind of an offensive-minded person. In college, Kingsbury was among the top of all college football in all six years at Texas Tech in pass ratio and play volume. And five of those six seasons, they finished inside the top 10 in plays from scrimmage. Yeah, this definitely reminds me a lot of when Chip Kelly came in with the Eagles. I looked into it a little bit and Cliff Kingsbury's team last year had 972 plays. And that's in 12 games, which is number one in college football. So I think there's going to be some big production for DJ. I'm a big fan. And as a top 10 pick, he's pretty locked into a big role. The receiver room is really where the questions of usage and production come in, though. Christian Kirk's looking to break out with a talented crop of rookies behind him. And we can't forget a certain old man who still has a little gas left in the tank. Who, Kevin White? No, not Kevin White. I'm talking about Larry Fitzgerald. I think he's going to see the field a lot in Kingsbury's pass-heavy offense. Last season was pretty respectable for him. He had over 700 yards, and with how awful the Arizona offense was, I think that's pretty solid. He came out as a back-end wide receiver three, which kind of surprised me. The six touchdowns definitely helped, but it's not out of the question that he could do that again. They don't really have another established red zone target aside from Larry, so we could see him hold the young guns off for another year and have a solid PPR season. Definitely undervalued in redraft, and I think he could be a buy-low potential for a contender in a dynasty format. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. If Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald play all season, they'll be huge assets for fantasy. It's interesting, though. Larry Fitzgerald's actually flying up boards when it comes to drafts. I was getting him in the ninth and 10th round about a month ago, and now he's going right around the 7th round in every draft I've participated in. And I am 100% on the Christian Kirk train, too. He is definitely set to blow in his sophomore season. Sophomore wide receivers have huge breakouts. A lot of people talk about third-year wide receivers, but it's the sophomore wide receivers we need to target. And last year, Christian Kirk had a 20% market share. It kind of goes under the radar because of how low the play volume was in Arizona, and he only played 12 games. But that 20% target share will be so valuable in this offense that runs a million more plays and passes a ton on a team that could be trailing constantly, too. And I just love Christian Kirk. He was top 40 in the NFL in yards per route run. He was the best Cardinals wide receiver in yards per route run as a rookie. And he only played 60% snaps, so that's bound to go up in my opinion. And he could be an every down player in these four wide receiver sets that we're likely to see. And that actually kind of reminds me, we should hit Keyshawn Johnson. He's really flown up this depth chart. He's a Fresno State product. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. He definitely has concerns with his metrics. And he has decent breakout age, decent dominator. And it's funny, on Player Profiler, Willie Sneed is his comp player. It was pretty great. And it sucks because you never know what to think about a player who made all his money in New Orleans with Drew Brees, right? So maybe Keyshawn Johnson might be ahead of Andy Isabella if he is the slot number two. That's really going to be a money spot for fantasy football, I think, with all these four wide receiver sets and at least all the three wide receiver sets. 
And we know Fitzgerald's age and Isabella has been slow out of the gate and battling injury. And while Hakeem Butler has a lot of people in his camp, he is definitely raw. So what do you have to say about all these guys? I was actually loving Hakeem Butler coming out, but it seems like he's going to be taking a developmental year. Maybe a little bit of work coming later in the season as the war of attrition strikes. But yeah, Keyshawn Johnson looks like he's going to be beating the odds. Those metrics don't look good when you look on player profiler, but he looks like a great fit so far and he's being talked up quite a bit. Andy Isabella, on the other hand, he's Johnson's polar opposite when it comes to metrics. He had a 97th percentile college dominator, which means he's used to a large workload. And his workout metrics in general just jump off the page. I think the Cardinals are going to try their hardest to work him in considering his draft capital and the guys they took him over and his unique skill set. Yeah, he was drafted with that pick they traded for Josh Rosen. Yeah, so that's going to be a big, uh, big deal for them. All three of these guys can be stashed on dynasty rosters with Isabella and Johnson having the best production outlook at this point. Let's keep it rolling into the NFC South though. We're going to look at the Falcons. Now they're an offense that's pretty set in stone, but for me, they're a major buy in all formats. They're loaded with weapons. They made some moves to improve the O-line. They really went all in and that shows in the draft when they could have probably used a defensive player or two. Let me get into Devonta Freeman and the running back room. I think Devonta Freeman's role should be that of a running back one. Injuries are definitely worrisome with his play style, so I do like him as my two and not so much as my one. He's going in the third round right now, and if I'm at the back of the third or the early fourth, I can see myself taking him there. I think these guys are a good bet to add at running back, though. Ido Smith is getting next to no buzz from what I've heard, and Quadri Olison is backing up Freeman right now. I'm not really on the Ido train, and Olison's more of a dynasty stash, kind of a taxi squad guy who has a decent path to workload. But I want to talk about this passing game. I think it's going to be high-flying this year. Yeah, Calvin Ridley, not unlike Christian Kirk, we'll see his 60% snap share go up. And Julio is probably the best wide receiver in football. But I think Austin Hooper is really underpriced, the tight end. If you're a fantasy player who kind of takes risk early in drafts, and even if you're anybody else who plays fantasy, I'm definitely targeting Austin Hooper and sometimes even over players like David Njoku and Eric Ebron or Jared Cook and other boom bust guys like that. Because I think Austin Hooper's in line for a ton of targets. Are you digging on Austin Hooper? Yeah, I'm really rising on him. We talked a little bit about him on the two-on-one podcast. want to give a shout out to Tommy and Steven for having us on. That was fantastic. But yeah, Hooper had a great year last year. He had a really underappreciated tight end six finish. His 71 catches were fourth at the position, and that indicates better chemistry with Matt Ryan. Yeah, and you don't find a lot of tight ends that are going in his range that are, you know, going to give you 70 catch upside. And he does give you those high leverage looks as well. He was top 12 in red zone targets last year. And you mentioned Matt Ryan. That's my whole point here. Like, we want Austin Hooper because we want pieces in this offense. Matt Ryan finished top two at quarterback in two of the last three years. And last season, his fantasy season was the 14th best we've ever seen at quarterback. And this season, the Falcons have a top 10 strength of schedule versus the pass. And they play 13 indoor games. And 70% of Matt Ryan's highest scoring games have come indoors. The biggest point of emphasis is Dirk Cutter returns as offensive coordinator. Obviously, we know he was the offensive coordinator back in Atlanta from like 2012 to 2014 or something. He was also most recently the head coach of Tampa Bay. But when he was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons, they averaged 630 pass attempts a year. And some fun stats, in 2012, they had three guys see over 120 targets. 
And in 2013, if you remember Harry Douglas, he had 132 targets. Harry D. And my main point is under Dirk Cutter in Atlanta, his wide receiver one saw on average 146 targets per year. The number two option in the passing game saw 125 targets per year. And the number three option on the team saw just under 100 targets a year with 98. So unless you're a massive Muhammad Sanu fan, we really need to be all over Austin Hooper. Yeah, that's good. And I'm not a big Sanu fan myself, so I think Hooper's going to have a nice tight end breakout here. Just quickly on Ridley, actually, I'm kind of expecting a big breakout from him, more so than last year was, I guess. The knock this year is that people don't think he can sustain those 10 touchdowns, but I actually see him going over 1,000 yards, and that would allow for a regression of three touchdowns while staying in that wide receiver two range. So I think he's going to get some good work, and I'm a huge Calvin Ridley owner, so I'm a huge Calvin Ridley guy. Let's get moving, though, into the Buccaneers. Yeah, and touching on Ridley and Sanu, Mohamed Sanu actually led the wide receiver group in snaps, even ahead of Julio. And I mentioned Ridley only had 60%, so we definitely see that correcting in 2019. But let's move along here to another super exciting offense that we're targeting every single piece of, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I think Mike Evans and Chris Godwin go without saying. They're popular targets. The Godwin hype is out of this world right now. And you wrote a wicked article on OJ Howard. I think our listeners should definitely go check out the site, truenorthffb.com, and look at that. OJ Howard's going to have a big breakout year. What are you saying for the Bucks' offense? Yeah, man, you know I think OJ Howard is definitely scoring over 200 PPR points this year. And Mike Evans is definitely appealing. He's going behind players like Antonio Brown right now at his ADP. It's just ridiculous. And we know the difference between Mike Evans finishing top six at wide receiver and not finishing top switch and not finishing top six is whether he sees above 22 or 23% target share, which he's very likely to see. And we know Chris Godwin is just going to explode after, you know, being behind Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys last season, which gets me to my main point that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the fourth most vacated targets in the NFL. They actually have 38% of their targets available, and they also have the fifth most vacated red zone targets. So yeah, buy them all, buy them all, buy them all. Yeah, I'm on board, man. I'm on board. I love Bruce Arians. I've had some major fantasy success in drafting his offensive players before, so I'm going to go back to that well. A lot of it hinges on Jameis and staying healthy and growing some consistency, but everything points to a big fantasy season, so I'm drafting Jameis himself in hopes of a big resurgence. Yeah, me too. Jameis Winston should be in that tier with like players like Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, other quarterbacks like that. And he's actually increased his average depth of target every year he's been in the league. And now you see someone like Bruce Arians, who obviously we love because of his average depth of target and his risk it biscuit fashion. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it feels like it's the risk it biscuit quarterback with the risk it biscuit coach. It's just great. Yeah, it's a good match. And let's go into the other guy that everybody's talking about, Ronald Jones. Yeah, I think he could pose a value on some teams if he can put it together. But there's definitely some passing game limitations and that caps his scoring potential. He's moving up into the eighth round as far as ADP, and that's a little bit rich for me. His floor is really low, so with the lack of clarity as far as usage in that backfield and a bunch of other guys who have as good a shot, I'm really hesitant to take him when I get out on the board. And behind those guys, we know Peyton Barber's pretty locked into early down work, and I think him and Ronald Jones are kind of competing for a similar role. So we need to keep our eyes open for pass catching work, and we can definitely watch preseason for that. Bruce Anderson, he's the name that everybody was talking about coming out of camp, including myself. I was definitely monitoring him. 
but he has just fallen off a cliff when it comes to value or how the teams value him right now. He had zero carries in the Tampa Bay preseason opener, and he's kind of playing as running back five right now. Obviously, we know Arians loves his veteran one-dimensional back, so Andre Ellington has to be kept in the conversation for pass-catching work. And the big buzz player is definitely Dare Ogunbowale. He's the third-year UDFA, and he's actually never had an NFL carry, but Arians has talked him up and even unprovoked commended him for his blitz pickups. And when you look at his stuff, he kind of profiles as a pass catcher too. He's out of Wisconsin, 85th percentile college target share. And he has decent size, and so we should definitely see through preseason if he has some good vision or good hands. And that about wraps up the entire Buccaneers. What are you thinking uh, for the Saints, Trav? I think for the Saints, the share of touches is pretty set. You know, they have Alvin Kamara, they have Michael Thomas. Those guys eat a ton of the share. And most people are expecting a big year from Latavius Murray. He definitely has solid RB2 upside. I'm curious to see if Kamara eats up some of that extra work, though, instead of Murray just sliding right in on the Ingram role. Yeah, I hope by now everybody knows that we really, really target two running backs in the Saints backfield. The Saints passing volume has just gone off the biggest cliff ever. In 2016, they had 674 passing attempts and ran just 37% of the time. And fast forward two seasons, last year they had 519 pass attempts and ran the ball 48% of the time. And New Orleans over those two seasons have led the NFL in rushing touchdowns both years. They're the only team to break 20 team rushing touchdowns in 2017 and 2018. And their 49 combined rushing touchdowns is the most in the NFL by far. So I really do think Latavius Murray is going to fill right in seamlessly for Mark Ingram. I really, I, I like both players as a talent too. Honestly, I think they're both kind of underrated for what they offer offenses. And remember Latavius Murray ran behind a good offensive line in Oakland. So I think he will be able to do it in New Orleans. And New Orleans was also number one in the NFL in red zone rushes in 2018. So we just want this backfield. Moving into the wide receivers, we're not going to touch much on Michael Thomas. And I was looking into, you mentioned the two seasons where they've led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. I was looking at the Kamara effect on the wide receiver too. When I looked into the numbers, I looked all the way back to 2014 and the wide receiver two in New Orleans before Alvin Kamara averaged 96 targets, 70 catches, 1,029 yards, and about 4.6 touchdowns. Looking at the wide receiver two in New Orleans after Kamara arrived, 56 targets, 40 catches, 407 yards, and 4.6 touchdowns. But this is another compressed offense who added Jarrett Cook, who figures to take a piece of that work, and by all accounts has looked great in leading into the season. But I think if we look at ancillary wideouts, it's probably between Traquan and Ted Ginn, right, Ty? Yeah, totally. It's ironic now that uh, Drew Brees is kind of tailing off his career. He actually has probably the most talented uh, wide receiver group that he's ever had. And it's kind of pick your poison between Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn. We do like Traquan Smith and, you know, he has some pretty interesting stats when it comes to fantasy points per target and things like that. And we know Ted Ginn will both give you big spiked weeks and drop touchdowns that could have been 80 yard passes. And I think we should definitely have Emmanuel Butler. He's a huge, gigantic wide receiver who's really showing out at camp on our radar as well. You got any deep sleepers for me on this team? Yeah, I've actually been looking at uh, Davin Ozigbo. He's a big boy, a bit of a plotter, but he could profile as a great goal line back. So definitely stash him if you're looking for a young running back to add. Sometimes Sean Payton likes to Ozigbo when others Ozagbo. <laughs> Sorry, that was awful. That was gold. 
Okay, we're going to start talking about the Carolina Panthers. Um, there's a lot of hype around DJ Moore, and there's some growing hype around Curtis Samuel as well. I'm rising on Curtis Samuel the more I see in camp. It looks like Cam's starting to trust him as more of a legit wide receiver. We actually brought a new guy on here at True North Fantasy Football to do some writing for us. His name's Kyle Johnson. You can find him on Twitter at jcage2. That's J-K-A-J-E-2. In that article, Kyle mentioned that DJ Moore only outscored Curtis Samuel by 21 points, and Curtis Samuel played significantly less games. So I think that goes to show that both of these players can be used and efficiently. Samuel's snap share increased as the season went on, and he had seven touchdowns in only 13 games. And that's with only an average of 11% target share in his first seven games played. So I know this offense runs through CMC, but Samuel's a guy that I'm looking at as kind of a back-end breakout. Yeah, I really like the talent for Curtis Samuel. He's a really good player for sure. I do have a hard time with players like this, though, who get a lot of steam in the offseason. Because while it is warranted, he's probably the priority three or four, depending on the tight end situation in Carolina. And it's also a very low volume passing attack overall and a slow offense overall with Riverboat Ron there. I think it actually probably depends entirely on the Panthers' success or lack thereof. Because Curtis Samuel had pretty drastic splits last year when Carolina was trailing. He had 12% of his targets in the first quarter, 25% in the second quarter, 17% in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarters last year, he saw 46% of his targets. So while I really like him in that 8th to ninth round range, if he starts to creep up further than that, which I do expect him to, he's going to be a player that I'm definitely off, while others are still on for sure. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think as far as wide receivers, DJ Moore is still going to be the one there. Um, we're not going to touch too much on Cam and CMC just because they're pretty locked in and Christian McCaffrey played like 97 plus percent of snaps last year, so there's not much deviation in that backfield. One point to note that Ty's been preaching is if you're in best ball drafts, stack Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. Because if you do that, you pretty much have all of Carolina's rushing touchdowns and they're going to run a lot this year. Yeah, I love that play. And if you take Ezekiel Elliott, you can take Dak Prescott. And my favorite one is if you take David Johnson, make sure you take Kyler Murray. Yeah, those are going to be money stacks for sure. Let's move into the NFC North and the Green Bay Packers. Cheeseheads. One of the guys that we've been talking up all offseason as a handcuff to target with some big upside if he can get some touches is Dexter, the Sexter Williams. He's been running with the ones in camp, so that's a good sign. And and I like the talent as we touched on in previous pods, so get at him. Yeah, totally. I love both these players, and you know, it's one of those situations where we just target backfields, and Green Bay's definitely one of them. And I'm hoping that they actually keep Aaron Jones out for a couple weeks and just bring him back slowly because he has had a little bit of injury past. And Dexter had a good day at the laboratory in preseason game one for sure. He had 80 yards on his 15 touches. And I'm telling you, the price is going to go up. Him and Darwin Thompson, Tony Pollard, all these players are really going to go up. We need to get out in front of them for sure. What are you thinking for wide receivers? Yeah, definitely Devontae Adams is locked in. He's a top 10 pick for me in most formats. But we're really looking at MVS and Geronimo Allison. MVS to start is getting talked up by A-Rod quite a bit. And that's high praise in Green Bay. Geronimo has shown rapport too, so it's really tough to pick between the two. Yeah, right now I'm definitely buying MVS and I'm buying Geronimo Allison though, but I really love MVS. He can shoot way up through preseason after making a few plays, so buy him now, I say. 
and people should know how good of an actual football player he is. He created separation on 70.8% of his targets last year, and that was top three among anybody with 50 or more targets. Yeah, that's a good stat, and I'm definitely going in on MBS, but to touch on Geronimo, he's going to be moving to the slot, which is where Randall Cobb's money was made back in the day. Geronimo and MVS are going right around each other in the eighth round, so it seems like fantasy people are conflicted as well as to who will get the wide receiver two work behind Adams. Geronimo was on his way to a wide receiver two season last year before he got hurt, but his role is going to be much different. The production from these two is going to be one we're going to watch probably all throughout the season, so you got to pick who you like, and for us, it sounds like it's MVS. Yeah, and the main point we want to make is that we just need the wide receiver two in Green Bay. We remember Jordy Nelson and people like James Jones. They've had some pretty historic targets per touchdown rates. And six of the last eight years, Green Bay's wide receiver two has been a top 36 fantasy option. And last year, Aaron Rodgers' touchdown rate went all the way down to close to 4%, and he's a career 6.5% touchdown rate player. One more name that I'll never shut up about is Jake Kumaro. He really showed out last preseason. He went on the IR after a preseason touchdown. He did like a wicked front flip and dicked up his shoulder. And this year he's coming in. He's getting a lot of publicity and he's going to get a lot of uh, action in preseason. So let's keep an eye on him. I'd definitely like to see what Kumaro can do. Uh, Moving on, we're going to touch quick on the tight end group. It hasn't been an overly productive unit previously, but Jimmy Graham quietly put up 90 targets last year and finished 12th in PPR scoring among tight ends. I think Jimmy Graham can be a great value this season, however risky it may be. It just depends on what extra work goes to these wideouts. I'd be happy with him at his 15th round ADP if I punted though. And of course they drafted Jay Sternberger in the third round. I'm not looking for anything from him in 2019, but he can be kept on your dynasty benches. This is a changing offense with Matt LaFleur, so his outlook could change quite a bit come next year. Definitely a deep stash or a taxi squad guy. We're going to jump right into the Lions, and there's not really many under-the-radar type guys. We expect it to be a lower volume of passing in the Daryl Bevel offense, so I'm all aboard the carry-on train this year. I think CJ Anderson should pepper in at times, which will probably be frustrating, but carry-on's going to get his. What do you think about the running back room there, Ty? Yeah, what I really want to see in preseason is if carry-on's getting that goal line work, but we know with Daryl Bevel coming in as offensive coordinator, this is going to be a really run-heavy team in Detroit this year. And I know it seems like a million years ago, but like Eric Blunt was there last year and he outcarried Carryon Johnson 11-2 on the goal line. And he actually leaves 17 carries behind inside the 10. And I think the goal line work could be the difference between Carryon being a top 12 running back or not, since we do expect him to get a ton of passing work. But if C.G. Anderson is rolling into the end zone in preseason bowling ball style, that could ding Carryon's rising value because he's really shooting up boards and he's in a lot of people's top 10 running backs already when it comes to draft value. And just touching on Daryl Bevel as the offensive coordinator that they brought in to pair alongside Matt Patricia, growing up with that really run-heavy Patriots scheme. Daryl Bevel's been 24th or lower in pass-to-rush ratio in neutral game script, 5 out of the 7 years with the Seattle Seahawks. And in 12 years as offensive coordinator, his running back has averaged 250 carries per season. Yeah, just to hit on the passing game there quickly, looking at Marvin Jones and Kenny G, Kenny G's getting all the love, but... I think Marvin Jones, with some health, could probably outproduce Kenny G this year. You can get him later in drafts, which is what I want, being wary of this passing offense. I'm not investing super heavily in these weapons, but I think for me, it's Marvin Jones. Kenny Galladay is going a little bit too high, and like I said, I think Marvin Jones could outproduce him this year. Yeah, I agree. I actually really like Marvin Jones. I always have. He had three straight 100-target seasons before last year. He was on pace to have another one before getting hurt. 
And I agree, he should be their deep threat. He was getting the majority of deep work when it was him and Galladay on the field together. And he's always been an ADOT freak. He's kind of what everyone hopes Cortland Sutton's going to turn into. And I think you're right. I think Galladay is going too high. I'm taking players like Godwin and Lockett all day over him. And behind him for preseason, I think we can monitor the slot duties for the youngsters when it comes to Travis Fulgham. We know Danny Amendola is probably going to come in and screw this whole wide receiver group up for fantasy, in my opinion. But he's also likely to get hurt, so we can keep an eye on that as well. And actually, maybe really quick, we should touch on TJ Hawkinson. We know that we can take a look at him in the preseason and see if he's getting passing work. We know he's going to be left in to block quite a bit. Even in 12 personnel, they're probably going to leave two tight ends to block in this Daryl Bevel scheme in Detroit. So Travis, do you think he's going to actually be involved in the passing game? Yeah, I mean... By all accounts, he is already involved in this passing game, and we know he's going to be on the field a ton because he can do it all as a tight end. So I'm liking Hawk. I think he could have a sneaky rookie year, but I think for a dynasty format, he's just a slam dunk. Yeah, and I talked about Daryl Bevel's running back usage. He has some pretty wicked splits when it comes to usage with the tight ends in fantasy too. Yeah, Jimmy Graham definitely had some good years in Seattle with Bevel as the OC. But we're going to move on to Dub Bears. The running back room's been pretty buzzy this offseason. David Montgomery was drafted. They traded up for him, I believe. Tariq Cohen had a wicked year last year, but we haven't heard a whole ton from him this offseason. And then they brought in Mike D. We're big fans of Mike D over here. What do you think about the backfield in Chicago, Ty? I don't know, man. David Montgomery definitely is flying up my personal draft board. He's somebody that I haven't got a lot of shares of in my drafts, startups, uh, redrafts, or best balls. Well, I was taking him if I get him in the fifth and sixth round. That's never going to happen again after he stole the show in week one of the preseason there. And he really did look super great. We just want to see if he was able to make people miss in the NFL because he did it better than almost anybody we've seen in college. And we also want to see his passing usage. And he did have three targets, caught them all, and looked really good. And while I do have questions with David Montgomery's running ability up the middle between the tackles, while he's amazing off tackle... I think Mike D definitely will still uh, serve a role when it comes to possibly goal line work and short down work because Mike Davis was really good for Seattle last year. And I think the big part is, you know, the Bears in typical Bears fashion have a stellar defense. And so we just want pieces of this running back room. In 2018, Chicago was 25th in pass attempts and 27th in pass to run ratio. And they also have the fourth most red zone rushes available. Yeah, so how about in the passing game? I mean, it's quite the muddle here. It's hard to tell who's going to get a bunch of targets. Allen Robinson's at the top of the depth chart, but he's been pretty disappointing. I think for me, if I'm picking somebody, it's going to be Anthony Miller. He had some solid touchdown numbers as a rookie, and they're looking to play him out of the slot more this year, which could be beneficial to Trubisky as well as Anthony Miller. Who are you taking out of this wide receiver room? Yeah, I really like Anthony Miller, and I've really turned around on him, not unlike a Cooper Cup. After you see somebody in the NFL, whether it's situation, whether it's talent, you have to change your mind. I kind of thought Anthony Miller might have been a compiler coming out of college, and he was a really old prospect. But I think we really want the slot wide receiver for Mitch Trubisky. We know that he's just been basically obsessed with the slot wide receiver through his college career and through the NFL career. And in 2018, Anthony Miller runs 69% of his routes out of the slot while having a bad dislocated shoulder about five or six times starting in week three. So it was really impressive what Anthony Miller did, but he is dealing with an ankle injury already this offseason. So we do need to really monitor if he's able to stay healthy and uh, be durable enough to put up another good NFL season. And I still hold a candle for Allen Robinson, of course. I really do like Allen Robinson. We'll see whether he can 
make any magic with somebody like Mitch Trubisky, but we do have a lot of faith in Matt Nagy as a play caller, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But Allen Robinson seems like a decent value in the fifth and sixth round if you miss out on some of your targets of wide receiver there. Yeah, those are some good points, man. Moving into the Minnesota Vikings, um, Kirk Cousins at quarterback. His draft price doesn't really match the weapons he has. He finished as quarterback 12 last year in what was viewed as a bad season. For fantasy, he's a 12th round pick right now at QB 19. And we're proponents of drafting QBs late in one quarterback league, so he's a great target. In Superflex, he's perfect as a quarterback too, with a pretty safe floor and a supporting cast to have some big weeks. Yeah, he's actually a really interesting pick. I don't understand why he's being so forgotten, but I can't tell if it's because drafters are sharp or if because they're just missing something because we do hate what they've done on offense here. They have two elite wide receivers who showed elite efficiency, one in between the 20s and Adam Thielen, and Diggs just absolutely dominates in the red zone. But the Vikings went on a mission after 13 games last year to be the safest offense ever assembled. And they've kind of trended even further in that direction from reading the tea leaves this offseason. But in my opinion, I'm not sure they have a good enough team to kind of execute the game plan. So if they get behind in games, they should be good to go. And those wide receivers and two capable tight ends now as well. Plus a third wide receiver who's actually exceeding expectations for once in Chad Beebe. I think Kirk Cousins actually still offers like a lot of upside given his price. Yeah, and Cousins had a pretty good preseason game one this year too, so something to look forward to. He definitely has a wicked duo at wide receiver. Let's talk a little bit about this running back room. Dalvin Cook, he's got the role. We're a little bit worried about his injury history, but he's looking like he's coming out the gates hot. Alexander Madison, though, is being talked up. They said he's got a lot of maturity and a high football IQ. And like I said, Dalvin Cook isn't the picture of durability, so Madison should get some run at some point this year. They're looking to have a more run-heavy offense with Kevin Stefanski coming in. Like you said, they're going safe. This is definitely a handcuff to own for me. I'll handcuff more in dynasty leagues, but if you drafted Dalvin Cook at the top of the second round, that's a guy you want to insulate, and Madison could have some high upside if so. Yeah, Madison looked really good in the first preseason game as well, playing with the starters. But I'm not like the biggest handcuffing guy. Adding an Alexander Madison team to a Dalvin Cook team might feel like an obligation, but Mike Boone could be playing ahead of the rookie or Dalvin Cook could be healthy all season. And we even saw Amir Ablongata thing again. You know how much I love Amir. Yeah, we all know. I'm hitting the waiver wire as we speak. <laughs> but the most likely scenario is a running back by committee forms if Dalvin Cook gets hurt. And my main point is he's being drafted as kind of the James Conner of this season. He's going in the 11th to 13th round. And Alexander Madison looked good in preseason, so that's only going to go up. But the reason I wasn't super high on Alexander Madison coming out of college, I actually uh, kind of crapped on him pretty good, is because he only had 15 yards or more on nine carries in over 300 carries he had in college. That's an ugly stat. Yeah, he's like a David Montgomery, except he doesn't make people miss historically. Should we touch on those tight ends a little bit? What do you think? Sure. I think there's actually a little interesting thing going on with tight end because, you know, I'm not like the hugest Irv Smith fan. You know, I think he's a little bit undersized. So if they want to use him, they'll need to use him as kind of a receiving option, which would make him really appealing for fantasy. But I also am not sure that he's that capable of that as well. Although at Alabama at 20 years old, he did have 710 receiving yards and OJ Howard never did that in any of his four years at Alabama. And his 2.56 yards per route run was top five in the college PFF era. So I do recognize that Irv Smith has a lot of potential to become a pass catcher. I'm just not sure if he will be. And in preseason game one, they either were not showing their hand by using him in such a way, or they were giving him practice and blocking and, you know, playing a typical tight end role. 
but he really, really struggled in preseason game one. What do you what do you think of tight ends? Because I what do you think of Kyle Rudolph more? I'm hopeful for Irv for the future, but Kyle Rudolph was signed there. We're not big fans of Kyle Rudolph by any means, but I was pretty surprised to see that he played 22% of his snaps in the slot. And I think that was top five as far as total snaps played in the slot among tight ends. So they like to use him that way. And we've seen some good red zone work by Kyle Rudolph before. So you never really know. He's kind of a gross guy to draft on your team but you could do worse as a tight end too yeah he's burned me he's burned me but you're totally right he he runs a lot of routes out of the slot and it'll be interesting to see if Chad Beebe fills that role but also we did see Kirk Cousins target Kyle Rudolph in that preseason game with the ones on that first drive so it's you know obvious that he is still involved in this offense all right, so that about does it for our NFC training camp roundup. Thanks, Ty. We're going to finish up with another Canadian fact, but first I want to just tell you about a little bit of the stuff that we got going on. As always, you can find us on Twitter at TrueNorthFFB, and you can visit the site at TrueNorthFFB.com. We got some articles going up, rankings coming up soon, lots going on for old True North. One thing Ty's been working on is these instant analysis podcasts. So these are little quick hitters of his reaction to the preseason game. So keep an eye on those coming out sporadically as Ty gets a chance to watch these games. He'll give us a little bit of content about what he sees. And as I mentioned on our first episode, I'm still working on the True North game slate. So that's a work in progress. But keep an eye on those links coming out for you to get the game previews on a weekly basis. And without further ado, Ty, why don't you get us into our Canadian fact? of the week why don't i eh? yeah eh? get into it eh? i'm pretty fired up for this one this week boys so let's put the biscuit in the basket here and let's get to it the third official language of canada is goose goose just kidding but canadian geese do have as many as 13 different animal calls that are distinctly their own canadian geese up here i think we just call them geese radio <laughs> so yeah that's our canadian fact of the week that was awesome, except for when there's shit everywhere. Yeah, I growing up playing football, geese are the worst thing you can ever imagine for football. You're playing on football fields, like at Royal Roads and stuff, and you're literally getting tackled into geese shit all day, every day. Yeah, I was actually, I was golfing with my dad when I was probably like ten years old at at Mount <laughs> Doug, and I'm on the I'm on the bot one of the bottom holes, and there's a ton of geese, and I smash a worm burner. And I hit this goose right in the neck. Oh my gosh. Snapped its neck in half, hanging in half. Oh my like, good lord. It was wild. And we're golfing with these two old guys and they are laughing their asses off. And I'm like <laughs> 10, 10 years old traumatizing because this goose's head's upside down and it's just flapping around flailing. That is incredible. Yeah. And then the greenskeeper comes down with his John Deere and he has a barrel on the back of it. Rolls up to the side of the thing, opens the it up. Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just tosses the goose in, drives away like nothing ever happened. And I'm just sitting there like, so am I supposed to take another shot here? Or <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty nuts. That is incredible. Yeah. I couldn't have That's been more I accurate. Gonna, that, that was not where I thought you were going. I thought you were just going to tell the old story where you're just like flicking geese shit at each other. Like everyone always does when you're out of the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, I full-on murdered one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is not Canadian at all. 
Thank you to our listeners for joining us. We appreciate the support and we can't wait to bring you more content going forward. So let's get out of here with a big peace.